Hi, Mackenzie. What up, yo? Hello. Uh, we're doing this movie called The Holdovers today, and it's about a very eccentric, odd, I don't know what, what adjective you would use to describe Paul Giamatti's character in this, but just, just curious on your end. Say it again, curmudgeonly. Curmudgeonly. That, would that's be a word? Mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, on your end, weirdest or strangest teacher story or weirdest teacher you've ever had? I am super glad that you asked this question because I have a great one that I sort of forget about, by the way, until this kind of thing comes up. But mm-hmm. she was an actual crazy person. It was Ooh. my um, eighth grade science teacher uh, who shall not be named. But I, there are friends of mine on the pod who probably remember who this is. So <laughs> she was she was just like emotionally unstable truly i believe and so you know eighth graders are we were even in an honors class this wasn't like a bunch of misfits who were you know bad kids or whatever it was pretty decent kids other than the fact that they're eighth grade graders and we're all brats then but you know we're just talking too much or being loud when we work on projects or maybe zoning out or whatever the middle schoolers do as middle schoolers do exactly and she would just crack and i mean Mm -hmm. i remember one time she literally jumped on top of the table you remember those like two-person lab tables yeah yep yeah she would she jumped on top of the table and screamed at us all for not paying attention to her and then jumped off and ran out of the classroom like disappeared for the rest of the day (laughs) and this was literally a recurring event it happened in my class only once but it happened in her different periods, like multiple Jeez. times. And actually her neighbor, you know, other science teachers would have to tag team covering her class because she would just vanish and throw these fucking tantrums and leave. And she would also like play guitar at us, like to help us learn a concept, but it would get really weird and aggressive. And she had these, <laughs> she had these really naturally. I'm just imagining somebody <laughs> aggressively playing a guitar at you. It's bringing me back to college when that one guy would bust out his acoustic to play Wonderwall. Just like, 100%. I'm uncomfortable. A hundred percent, but there's like a quiz involved. Imagine that, but with a quiz involved <laughs> of like, you need to know the answer to this. And if you didn't, you were gonna like break this emotionally unstable woman's heart and she also had these very naturally buggy eyes that were truly terrifying and scary and she would get in your face and like her eyes would bug out and she would do that while she was playing guitar it was that among a million other things and i later found out about which i was not surprised at all that she She was homeless and was not (laughs) supposed to be there at all no she was in charge of our garden club and she got fired for planting weed in the school garden. Those seem like that seems like a paradox to me. I feel like if you're a weed smoker, you'd be you would chill. be more mellow. Yeah, like you'd be no. one of those teachers. Also, that's to be fair, like a total rumor that I heard, you know, when I was what nineteen or something. So I haven't fact checked mm-hmm. this to be fair, but the rumor was that that was why she got fired. And yeah, it doesn't really jive. But she did get fired, and I again, if nothing else, it should be for leaving her classroom to everyone else's responsibility. Those poor, yeah. I feel for her poor co-teachers i'm sure you do too having been a teacher like can you imagine having a tag yeah team I, I was a middle school teacher for four and a half years so i i feel some of her stress and there were times where i definitely wanted to storm out of my classroom or i had to have yeah. somebody step in but like 
to do it that regularly and to jump on a desk and scream at kids and to force them to listen to Wonderwall so aggressively. <laughs> I'm with you. I think she had it coming. She did. She had it coming. What was yours? Who's your weirdo? I'm sure you can't top so, that. I know. I, I don't think I can top somebody who runs. Mine is more of like the least caring teacher of all time. And this was mm -hmm. a college professor. It was a woman in probably her... 60s maybe 70s who maybe shouldn't have been teaching anymore not to say you know not being ageist but just based on what i saw did not feel like it felt like she was past where she should still past be in a prime. classroom but the way that we knew it was because you know in college you're, you're going to this class two i think it was twice a week maybe three times a week and mm -hmm. regardless she did not ever remember any of the students names you know it's a classroom of 25 students could not remember any of us from day to day so every single time she would take a t like roll call and she would look around the room confused about who was who, could not remember a single person. God. My friend Tanya, whose full name is Tanya Lee, avid listener of the pod. Thank you, Tanya. Hey, Tanya. She, you know, her name is pushed together. So it's Tanya Lee. One yeah. word. I believe I, she's going to kill me if I get that wrong. But you're it's right. pronounced Tanya Lee. You are okay. right. And a lot of people are confused when they first see it of how you said understandable. I get it. I'm yeah. a Lamar and it's not, it's not spelled like the street in Austin. So I get the confusion I'm a McKenzie of names. Wayne, which is a first and a, two last names at a first name and all that. <laughs> I totally get it. It's the worst. So Tanya Lee, every single time in roll call teacher gets up, looks at the sheet, 10 yelly, 10 yelly. Oh <laughs> and Tanya's oh just God. frustrated every single time. And then oh, to top that off, not only was that happening, there was a student in the class who was wheelchair bound and could not raise his arms either. Um, so quadriplegic. Um, oh my God. And had an assistant with him, like bring him in and out of the classroom every day. Teacher did not remember his name. So every single time roll call, I forget his, I forget his name, but buddy, if you're listening, I feel for you because it was like Jonathan Michaels, Oh, looks around the classroom, Jonathan Michaels, and it's like Jonathan Michaels, stand up, please. It's like, what the oh, hell are you doing? God. And eventually, one of the other students would have to be like, "Ma'am, he's 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 right here," and kind of he's point. He's here. And, he can't yeah. raise his hand. You senile woman, Jesus. <laughs> so so not a bad teacher, but definitely a lack of memory there. Maybe a little lack of empathy of just maybe I should at least learn this one kid's name. Could but... you? Yeah, could you learn one? Oh my god! Just one. I don't know. So just, roll, call, do roll call gives me such PTSD to begin with. Like I feel like if you if I had to hear that every day, I would just be. In, you know what would happen to me? It would be Wayne mm -hmm. every day. They would get. Wayne she would McKenzie, get to my name, yeah. and she oh, would go. I didn't even think about that. Every time, I don't know why. I'm like, why did you ignore the formatting of every single other name that has come prior to this name? I'm the literal last one. You've had a lot of practice, mm -hmm. and then you see it, and you, I don't know, short out and go Wayne every time, every time. <laughs> And I would always have to be like, mm, Mackenzie, woman, Aww. like, thanks so much. Yeah, I hate a roll call. This lady sounds terrible. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get too much of the roll calls. I mean, Lamar isn't crazy. It's either Lamar or Lemar. Lemar, I would get sometimes. I was more, <laughs> my PTSD from elementary school comes from photo day, class photo day, because I was always the shortest one in my class. So uh... I was always in the front row, like sitting. I was like me first, like front left. <sighs> on my knees for every single class photo. So we should probably start the episode before I start crying. I was going to say, this is already getting emotional. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> uh, time to move on, for sure. Welcome back to We Drink and We Watch Things. I'm Mackenzie. 
And I'm Paul Giamatti. Pleasure to be... No, it's Lamar still. Sorry, guys. That is that is a literal lie. All right. Wishful thinking. <laughs> goals. Hashtag goals, right? Well, <laughs> if you couldn't tell... <laughs> or to have him on the pot or for me to become him. I don't know. I think either one sounds great. Like, if I'm a person, I'd be super proud to become Paul Giamatti. He's a, he's an incredibly talented guy. Thanks. So, Thanks. In case you hadn't picked it up, today we are talking about <laughs> The Holdovers, which is actually a part of fan jam and mm -hmm. but this is a 2.0 offering for the same yeah. reasons as the knight's tale that we won't relive because it's traumatic um but it also kind of nicely segues us into what is going to be our oscars coverage in february so this is an oscar contender as well so i'm super excited yeah and i think if we if i have the calendar right this will be on january 31st so it'll be the last yeah. episode of Fan yeah. Jan, but it's also leading into it's perfect. It's almost it's, like we planned it. You know, thank God for like having to redo an entire episode. <laughs> I was going to say the universe collaborated to make <laughs> us have to redo it because they were like, you got the schedule wrong, to be honest. Let, me, let us help. So it's worked out nicely. Yeah. So we are talking holdovers. We have done this before. So we are very prepared with regard mm -hmm. to our beverages, which are, I'll let you take it away. I mean, we kept it fairly simple because if you've seen The Holdovers, which you should, we're going to get to ratings and stuff before we get to spoilers. But if you have seen the film, you will know that there is a lot of bourbon consumed by the adults in this film. And that's pretty much the only thing they seem to drink every day yeah. and every night is bourbon. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you will you will find it is a, looks to be a freezing ass cold environment and yeah. they are pretty desperate to warm up and uh and the circumstances themselves i think lend themselves to bourbon lend themselves to to whiskey <laughs> of some kind for sure which we will get into but yeah so we both did bourbon and i did one i'm really proud of mine which is so i'm gonna share really quickly mine has a rose petal ice mold so it is beautiful Ooh. yes i take a take took a photograph to share with you guys because i was very excited so you will see it um but yeah i love a good ice mold like i have several options but i just thought like it was a it was a good feeling warm feeling film and it deserved a rose so i put a rose in it yeah uh, which which bourbon did you choose so this is, I believe it's called Legend. It's a Kentucky bourbon. And this actually was gifted to me on my birthday by the aforementioned Tanya. So there you go. Aww, Mentioned twice in one episode. Tanya Thank you, Adams. Tanya. Yeah. I was actually chatting with her this morning. So that is, uh, is she's just, you're giving, you're, the universe is giving us Tanya vibes today. I like it. Yeah. Now with uh, that in mind though, uh, well not Tanya, but the bourbon piece <laughs> is that typically uh, avid listeners will know I tend to do, you know, sweet cocktails. Mm -hmm, so I'm doing mm -hmm. bourbon straight today. So if you guys hear me coughing uncontrollably, that's mm. every single time that's probably going to happen. I apologize. I need y'all to understand that Lamar has the cocktail taste of a 19 year old girl. So very yeah. much. I always sleek. have. <laughs> Ever since I was a 19 year old girl, I've just maintained that just taste in cocktails. To it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very much a bourbon person, which is a sweeter whiskey, to be fair. So it kind of makes sense mm -hmm. that you would potentially like it. Generally speaking, bourbon's a little sweeter, but I have one that I would definitely recommend. I will say because. I don't think most people would expect you to like it. Uh, it's one of those like celebrity cocktail, you know, liquor, whatever kind of brands. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those, I mean, not all, of course, but a lot of those I perceive to be kind of like shticks, you know, they're money making yeah. endeavors and they are just capitalizing on their fame and or they just weren't really involved, right? Like they just slapped their name on it. Right. Um, this one is Brothers Bond Bourbon, which is 
actually developed by Ian Summerholder and Paul Wesley, who are, if you don't know who they are, they Vampire did like- Vampire Diaries? Yes, exactly. Okay. They did like a famous, it was a famous series for a while, Vampire Diaries. Um, and, you know, they drink bourbon in the show. That's like their shtick. They're brothers in the show and they drink bourbon all the time. So I was especially reticent. I was like- Aren't they vampires guys- in the show? Yes. Why are they drinking bourbon? I don't know. This is a universe in which vampires can drink and eat and all the things, apparently. But all you ever see them do is drink bourbon. So that's really it. But I guess that's fair. There's a a funny video online uh, by Max Landis, who's John Landis's son. And I think it's called the, is it the Death and Return of Superman? But he did like this YouTube, but all this to say that his father's John Landis. And at some point he says, you know, my dad, when I was a kid, sat me down and said, hey, how do you kill a vampire? He says, oh, steak through the heart, uh, garlic, or cross, like, and he's throwing all the, and he's like, no, you kill a vampire however the fuck you want, because vampires don't fucking exist, so you can make up <laughs> rules for all these things, so purists about, like, zombies and werewolves, it's like, dude, they're fictional things, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, so. there is no purism here, you know what I mean? Like, it is every <laughs> single one of these different vampires, and of which I have read many and seen many, I'm definitely a vampire girl. Uh, they're, they all have different rules. And in this particular universe, they can drink bourbon specifically. But I thought it was okay. going to be bad because I was like, okay, you guys just drink bourbon on the show and you're just, you know, trying to make money off of that. But they really threw themselves into it, especially Ian Summerholder. Like it's become his almost primary business, it seems. And it was a surprisingly good one. Like I held off buying it for a long time. And then I think mm-hmm. I went into a Twins after they had done a big restocking and it was like on an end cap and i was like okay whatever i'll try it anyway all that to say this is one of the legit ones i think you know like a george clooney's casamigos is really good this is like that it was really well developed it's a really good bourbon so if you haven't tried it i would definitely recommend it nice we should do like an episode where we pick like five celebrity liquors Mm. and drink their liquors while we watch one of their movies yes we could do a series movie and yeah the the series We we need to talk Ocean's Eleven so we could do you know a George Clooney uh, a George Clooney up for that maybe while I'm in Vegas in March we should go shoot it right like live at the Bellagio like water fountains until they kick us out just set up our whole thing there (laughs) you have to leave y'all pod audience fun fact I just bought us portable mics so we are ready to do this Uh, (laughs) I'm super excited yeah I'll be there in March let's make a plan anyway I I love that idea we could do this. All right. Well, all that to say, we spent five years talking about bourbon because clearly we care more about booze than we do the movie. So (laughs) just kidding. Just kidding. This is a great movie. So, but uh, this is our 2.0. So we're going to. Forgot to cheers. Oh, yeah. That's right. We got to cheers. All right. Well, cheers to our excellent taste in bourbon. Cheers to that. Yeah. Well, now we should actually talk about the movie. Listen, see, he still can't handle his liquor. Listen Ugh. to this guy. <laughs> still can you a put bourbon in a girl. Cosmo? Can I turn this into a Cosmo? Can I get some cranberry juice? Okay. Sorry. Continue. Uh, now that we've gotten over uh, Lamar's first choking moment of the app, I'm sure there will be more. Uh, we do want to talk about this film again as we said, but we want to give you the basics and we want to give you a quick spoiler-free section in case you haven't seen it yet and let you know like whether or not you should go see it uh and then we'll dig into kind of the spoiler part of the app and give you a little bit deeper dive into some of that so i think we'll kick it off with some of the basics real quick for you so first off this is directed by alexander payne who is well known for a couple of things what there's nebraska i have seen 
mm-hmm. but there's a couple others I haven't seen, like Descendants. Yeah, he, he's sort of all over the place. He does yeah. a lot of producing as well. But yeah, Descendants, I neither of us has seen that, right? I know. No, no. And I it's I have mixed feelings about it. Like I heard I heard mixed things about it, I guess is the crux of okay. it. So I, I never really prioritized it, to be honest. Yeah, he also but we did both seen and I heard bad things about that one. I saw that. I did not love it. Okay. I did not <laughs> well, there love we it. Go. Yeah, yeah. My uh my do not recommend, probably, for sure. <laughs> oh, it's a bummer. It had such a good cast, but it did. he also did uh Sideways, which is another Paul Giamatti, yes, and yes, we've both yes. seen that. And that was a fun I read the book first and I thought the oh, movie did cool. it justice. Yeah. You know, I never read the book. I that was one of the few that I didn't know was a book when I went and saw it, and then I found out after, and I always hate reading a book after seeing the movie, I feel like it ruins it. Yeah, it takes some of the imagination out of it sometimes because you're just picturing yeah. what you saw in the film and the character yeah. rather than coming up with your own. And I guess it's it could be bad either way. I know a lot of people got upset it, with specific movies when it's like, oh, that's not what I thought the character would look like in my head. And well, become I, a movie I, maker. I think I that's know. definitely true. I'm definitely that person who has read a book and hates the adaptation. But mm-hmm. I just feel like that's a truer form of the art, you know, because like that's the source yeah. material. So yeah. I generally would prefer to start that way but yeah i didn't see it but that is a good movie another mm-hmm. great paul giamatti show, showing to your point so he's he's done a few things you know he's done he's kind of he's kind of all over the place so yeah he's, he's been around a minute he did election that's probably the earliest one of his mm-hmm. directorial that i've seen and i just watched that for the first time actually recently i didn't realize it was that it was the same director oh. and that one was a little it's aged a little oddly but it's still an interesting film yeah it is an interesting one i definitely think that you you should see it if you haven't it's i think it has a sequel but i can't remember if they've actually made the sequel or if it's like a book sequel but it's like tracy flick must not win or something like that Mm. and i have been wondering if they had remade it so that's a that's a good follow-up item for me i'm curious if they're gonna do that one again but that is a that is a fun flick i think yeah yeah what about on the writing side so writing side is David Hemmingson, and he seems to have done, like, you'll know his work, but I didn't know his name, you know, mm-hmm. that, that much. This is his first full-length feature film, as far as I yeah, can Yeah, mostly tell. TV, right? Yeah, mostly TV. He's done a few. He did Bones, which I think is, like, relatively well-known, was on TV for a while. He did The Catch, which I actually liked, but I don't know if it speaks to my taste, because it did not go past a season. It literally mm-hmm. lasted one season. It's kind of like a mystery con man thriller type of TV show, and I don't know if maybe that just doesn't translate to TV, but he did that, and the writing was good, so it vibes. Um... But then he was also an exec producer on How I Met Your Mother. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, which is what? Like another Friends, you know, it's a big, it's a big long term comedy series. So he's got a good mix there too. But, uh, yeah. But first feature film, right? First feature film. Yeah. Yeah. Not and, a I mean, ton of I, credits in general, but all TV. And I think that's why, right? Like he's working on one show for a while. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you and I would agree that for his first time out, really really good film really good really good and i think maybe you know to to that tv series point like you really are generally speaking trying to write a a character arc but you're doing it over a really complicated Mm -hmm. format of multiple episodes and Mm -hmm. especially multiple episodes that you don't know when they are going to end potentially right so it's very hard to write tv well and clearly he's done it with some longevity so i'm not super surprised that he was able to almost condense the format and get yeah. it all out in one story. Yeah, it's it felt and one of the things that I will say before we get to spoiler territory is that 
this one, the first 20 to 30 minutes didn't really hook me. I didn't really see what the big deal mm, was there mm -hmm. because I think the writing almost felt too real where it wasn't clever enough to really get me laughing. Mm. Like the kids in this talk, like kids would actually talk. They're not super clever How or witty. It's just kind of, yeah, eye roll worthy <laughs> at times of like, oh, these kids are annoying. Not, not yeah. like the movie is bad, but it felt like a TV series where it's like, you have to watch the pilot and parts of the, the first few episodes, right? To get a feel for the yeah. characters. And then it starts to hit its stride. And then if you can nail that finale, and that's kind of what I would compare this film structure to is, the first yeah. 20 are going to be a little slow, but then once you know the characters, the back half is incredible. Right. You get invested. Once you're invested, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you kind of have to do, like you said, you kind of have to put in the work to get invested in those folks. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so all that to say, solid directorial writing part of the crew here. We also have our major cast is pretty small actually. And yeah. I think it's a really interesting format. You get to concentrate on these characters really closely. So of course we have, as we said, Paul Giamatti who mm -hmm. plays Paul. <laughs> so that was fun to me. They were like, it's just he should just play Paul in every movie. I wonder if he's just playing himself, but in teacher form, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> it was, it's a good showing for him. He does a great job, which we'll get into, but then we also have another incredible, I mean, really just incredible performances across the board, but our dear divine Joy Randolph puts in mm -hmm. an incredible showing as Mary, who at first you're not sure she's going to become a big part of the story, but she really does. She becomes, you know, one third of this little trio in a really meaningful way. So really cool. Yeah, she's incredible. She is also Oscar nominated, I believe. Yep. Um And very deserving. I, I said this the first sure. time we recorded and I'll say it again. I think... Paul's character is sort of the backbone of this story, but I think Mary's character is the heart of it and where you really connect with that character throughout this film. She's she's great, and that performance is great. Yeah, and that's such a great point. I mean, I think that's so true. He is carrying this story. He's the your focal point for sure. But yeah, she absolutely is the beating heart. She brings a real sense of humanity to everyone involved in in numerous ways right like she i think she's a very important mirror for everyone mm -hmm. involved we'll get into that but she does a, a great job and then our other part of this trio that we're focused on is dominic sessa who plays angus and this is his first outing period full stop he yeah is... he was a, like a theater student at yeah. the campus or something where they were sort of doing the auditions and i believe mm -hmm. the director said hey is there anybody else that we should audition to sort of the theater teacher there and he said try this kid out and he got the role and he kills it he does an incredible job so clearly he's a good student because yeah he was in film mm -hmm. school and then he went and immediately knocked it out of the park so he does a great job he's very young as well like he and and that reads and is important i think for this role in general. So yeah, they, I think he has a bright career in front of him. And my thought was, you know, that meme that's been going around of like, this person died in the same year that this person was born. So welcome back. So and so have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm thinking that maybe all the roles that Ezra Miller will now be blackballed <laughs> out of this kid can take over. So it's like Ezra Miller's career died. So the Dominic Sessa could live. <laughs> And I'm fine with that. It's so true. And also a little bit sad because I remember, yes, the days of Ezra Miller's potential was so strong and he was doing yeah. really what, but they are, they're a very similar type. And then Ezra went a little crazy. So yeah, enter Dominic. Just, Thank you. We should whisper because he might hear this and come fight us. Oh, that's true. That's true. But so. yeah, Dominic, uh, could you, one, 
feel free to replace Ezra Miller in all the roles, but <laughs> just like keep the crazy on the down low. Just a Seriously. pro tip. Pro tip. Or just don't have the crazy at all. Maybe just, just behave like a it. human being, you know? Just a human being. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the, I think that's the core cast. We have a couple, you know, fun little, almost cameos, honestly. Everything else is a little bit smaller, but generally yeah, yeah. A, a couple other actors in here that make appearances. We have Carrie Preston, who plays Miss Lydia, who's a real sweetheart throughout as mm-hmm. well. And then we have another sweetheart that shows up, which is uh, Naheem Garcia, who plays Danny. And it becomes real relevant with Mary down the road as well. And then there's a few, there's a bunch more, but they're just, again, they're almost blips, to be honest. The story is really around these three folks, ultimately, once you get into it. Yeah. So the way we've done this before, y'all, you're probably familiar with this, but we're going to give you some high level notes, no spoilers here of just sort of our overall thoughts on the movie without giving anything away. We'll give you our rating at the end of that. And then we'll give you our usual warning of, Hey, turn around, don't drown in spoilers, mm-hmm. because really you should go see this or make an effort. It's streaming on Peacock right now. So no, no excuse to not see it unless you don't have Peacock, but I don't know. This isn't an ad for Peacock, but if you've got it, you can go watch it. I was going to say, I feel like Peacock has gotten in a lot of trouble with the Super Bowl or not the Super Bowl, the playoffs. They like made people register for. <laughs> and so I probably a lot of you have Peacock now and you That's didn't a, before. <laughs> yeah. If there are some if there are football fans that cross over into our audience, they're going to be double pissed because we're like, you have to have Peacock. Again. I know. <laughs> I, I'm also a football fan, so I feel your pain, but also go watch it. So <laughs> but real quick, I will say, let's give you a super high level summary. Do not worry. It doesn't give anything away. But if you know nothing about this film the general very very short plot is that a cranky history teacher paul giamatti uh, at a remote prep school in new england is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go and they call those students for context the holdovers Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how we kind of focus in on these three characters so very very high level summary of how this all comes about and then also some awards shout outs like we said at the top this is segueing nicely into award season. Um, Paul Giamatti actually won the Golden Globe for Best Actor for this role already. Mm-hmm. And Divine Joy Randolph won for Best Supporting. And they are nominated for Oscars as well. In um, your history, in, in your experience, do, does Golden Globes win? Because I don't really watch award season. Do Golden Globes wins typically translate to Oscar wins? Or is it sort of hit or miss? It's very much hit or miss. It is a good indicator that they might also be nominated for some things like it's not a far off indicator of its potential at the academy awards but Mm -hmm. it is a really unrelated community so if you don't know this about the golden globes it is the hollywood foreign press association is the host and the community that votes on the golden globes and so it's it's film and entertainment journalists like that community so it's not performers, directors, production designers, you know, the the mix of the academy voting body is people who are in the film industry like in the thick of it, right? And that's interesting. And the Hollywood foreign press is people who are reporting on it primarily, right? Hmm. So it's a very different voting body and what you'll see also is it's a bit more lighthearted like the running joke is that that award ceremony is like where you get drunk and have a party versus yeah. The Academy Awards is a very serious, obviously, award. It's taken very seriously in in the community. And so, yeah, it's a very different vibe. And it's sometimes a really different winner or nominee. But there is definitely always some overlap. So, you know, again, now, both of... 
Go ahead. What about the MTV Movie Awards? Who makes those Ooh. choices? And is there are, do those usually overlap with the Academy Award right, winners? Right, right. So that's usually done by people who don't know anything about music or movies, mm -hmm. right? They just yes. want to vote on things that get drunk. So, yeah. That sounds like the most fun one of the bunch, honestly. <laughs> it's like, best movie of the year, Fast X. We did it, guys. We did it. We didn't see it, in case you were curious. But we've also <laughs> never listened to a note of music either. So we really know what we're doing here, folks. Yeah. But it does, in this sense, the Golden Globes did translate. They did both get nominated for Golden Globes as well. But it also got nominated, we should note, uh, or Academy Awards, I should say, they also got nominated for Best Picture, um, and then mm -hmm. best original screenplay and which again, shout out to the writing on this and the film editing as well. So solid chunk of Oscar noms for these guys mm -hmm. as well, for sure. Cool. So yeah, with all of that, again, uh, what's your, what's your takeaway? What's your like takeaway spoiler free review? I think my biggest takeaways are around the style of the film. I, I remember when we first talked about doing this one, you had said, oh, it's like a new a new Christmas film. Like it could end up being sort of like a Christmas classic. Mm -hmm. And it does feel it's obviously a Christmas film. It takes place. It, the entire yeah. plot of the story is that this kid is being left alone on Christmas and having to spend his time with this mean hermit of a teacher, essentially. But stylistically, I found it interesting. The whole film looks like it was shot in the 1970s. And yeah. I believe it was all added in post. They didn't film on old equipment or use real film or anything like that. They added all these yeah. effects in post because they wanted it to feel like it was made in the time period where it takes place. I believe the story takes place in 1970. Mm -hmm. So visually, it's really cool. There's even the, the opening credits are like eight minutes long, which is a very old cinema thing to yeah. do of front loading the credits kind of. Yeah. But yeah, and it has the old MPAA ratings. And I just, it felt like I was in another time. And in a way, it kind of feels also a little bit timeless. And I guess maybe that's the intention of yeah. if I can make it feel like it's a 1970 movie already, it feels classic. I don't have to worry about making it look like 2023 and it looking right. classic in 20 years, you know? Yeah, I think they did a really good job of making it feel like it was of the time and mm -hmm. just from the get go. And I think even the, I don't know quite how to describe this but even the people kind of look like they fit that time as well and yeah. i feel like if you watch some period pieces sometimes you're like we just look so different from that now but you can see some pieces where you still resonate like you still identify with that person like it still looks like a relatively modern environment or a modern person or what have you and they they all just plug into this i think really appropriately you know paul yeah. giamatti absolutely looks like a 1970s you know prep school professor <laughs> which maybe that's just his whole vibe as a person yeah <laughs> I'd agree with that. He 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 kills it. I think that's my other takeaway for anyone who hasn't seen it is the three main performances here are just incredible. I had never heard of two of the three and it was my first experience. And like we said, everybody in here just kills it. And I think that's yeah. sometimes those types of movies have that going for them where if you have such a small cast and you have a chance mm -hmm. to really get attached to them, you get a lot more invested in the outcomes for them individually as opposed to a massive cast story. So yeah. I, th I think that one and the last thing that I would say to sort of recommend this to folks is I feel like if you're I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. If you're a Wes Anderson fan of that style of just sort of like these sort of obscure moments in life, like it feels real, but it feels a little zany. Mm. But the dialogue is very just crisp and slow and it's drawn out. 
I think you would really enjoy this film. It's not going to yeah. be as funny and off the walls as some Wes Anderson stuff, but I think if you yeah. like the the emotions that those films evoke, you'll get all that and more in this one. Yeah, and I think a little bit unlike Wes Anderson, it feels really rooted in reality and a place that is yeah. feels accessible, feels true and authentic and you know this was filmed on location in new england across a few places in massachusetts and and that's mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be right and so they really commit in a relatively harsh environment right like it's cold as f in winter um and so i think it comes through as feeling like very much like a true story and you can kind of insert yourself into that and so and i yeah i love the ensemble of the cast and so i think i mean i would just say high level i agree with everything you just said i would also say that there are some really poignant emotional moments in really different ways for each of these characters yes. they have radically different life stories that again we won't spoil right now but they have radically different life stories backgrounds hopes dreams etc but they all come together and complement one another's emotional growth in mm -hmm. this vignette you know in this small moment together that they all do some really impressive growth in a short period of time yeah. with very different circumstances and i think just the kismet of that is kind of beautiful to see. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because my biggest takeaway is that this film is just a lesson in empathy of realizing mm -hmm. that you don't understand everything that somebody else is going through. So those people that, you know, you bump into in a given day and they piss you off because of the way they're behaving, right. you don't know what they're experiencing. And I'm not saying that makes them right in that situation, but a little empathy goes a long way. And I really sure. do like the way that I felt after watching this movie. It just left me with the warm fuzzies. I see how it could be a Christmas classic. I don't know that it's going to be like a watch every year because it does pack an emotional punch and yeah. it's not going to be as lighthearted as some of our Christmas classics, but definitely worth at least one watch. And then once every couple of years from here on out. I think so too. And I will say asterisk here, if you are like, in your feels in the Christmas season, like I am in the Christmas season, <laughs> this is one of those like that you will watch on repeat. There's mm -hmm. another film that this reminds me of that's very bittersweet and emotional, The Family Stone. If you have seen that film, it's a very similar energy and it is very much a Christmassy movie. Um, and for some reason, I, I wanna see that every season, even though it's like, it hurts every time. And this is one of those that it doesn't hurt quite that bad, but there's definitely some bittersweetness. There's some hard topics, but I do think overall, yes, it, it can't be described without including heartwarming in it. So I think yeah. it's definitely worth a watch. So with all that in mind, what are, what are you going to rate this sucker before we get into spoiler territory? I'm trying to remember what my gut check was the first time. And I think it was seven. I think I was like a seven out of 10 here. Uh, I think it was okay. a very, very solid showing seven and a half, maybe in that okay. range. Really, really good positive film. But I agree with your high level of it starts a little slow. So I think that's yeah. probably where I would land in the seven ish range, you know? Yeah, I think that about halfway in, once it had started picking up, I was in sort of the seven and a half range. Originally, I was in like the six and a half of like, I, I'm not lying, guys, when I say I did not really get into the first 20 minutes. There's a moment that we'll talk about when the movie sort of turned for me, but it, the back half and I oh, we will get into the ending, which I love, and that bumped it up for me. So I would yeah. say I'm more at like the eight 
scale. And I think that on re in future rewatches, when I know what to expect after that first 20 or 30 minutes, I think I'll appreciate it a little more, but for now I'll sit at it like an eight. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a good, a, a good range there. It's pretty accurate. So, all right. Well, all that to say, obviously what we are suggesting is that you go see it or yes. watch it on Peacock or what have you, but definitely give this one a watch and you don't necessarily have to wait for next Christmas. I think it's a really heartwarming movie either way. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a winter movie as well. All the snow For in sure. this is real. There's no, you know, special effects. All the snow right. is actually in Boston. So if you're, you know, even Austin got a little, Austin got a little cold this winter. So if you're, if you're looking for something to watch while it's cold outside, there's worse choices than this. Yeah. Get cozy and grab a bourbon and watch Do it. Do a double feature with this and the thing. <laughs> and then give us an essay on comparing the two. <laughs> I was so cold watching both of these <laughs> movies. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, kids, turn around. Don't drown. It's spoiler time. So we're going to maybe hop around a little, but uh, I'm going to let I'm going to let Lamar lead us through this one. It's a, it's an emotional one. I feel like just mm -hmm. warning y'all like this is going to be a little bit of an emotional conversation probably not as funny as some of the others we've covered but it's worth i think it. we we caught that the first time that we recorded we actually went back and tried to add jokes <laughs> like let's re-record we re this part did. <laughs> <laughs> because we're just like this was a sad episode not to say that it's a completely miserable movie but it just it just has these poignant moments that tug at your heartstrings so 100%. i don't know i guess let's start with just Let's start at the beginning. I feel like that makes sense. We're not going to go through every element of the plot. Sure. That first 30 minutes, like what specifically to you, I kind of delved into, was there anything that caused you to kind of feel like, let's get the ball rolling here a little bit or anything that stood out there? I, I think it was just slow. I don't know that I had any specific thing that I was like, oh my God, I could just do without it. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like that. It was just like, okay, we could get going. Um, yeah. There's a lot of exposition here of yeah. we're dealing with a curmudgeonly teacher who of course thinks that his pupils are brats who don't have any interest in learning and excellence and blah 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 and he is a definitely a super intellectual guy who cares deeply yeah. about his subject matter he's a history teacher he thinks it's very important to learn about history for myriad reasons that we'll probably touch on later but he you get these snippets of him right away, just leaning into that, you know, curmudgeonly teacher yeah. vibe. And you don't necessarily like him right away. You find him entertaining, I think. There's at least that. But I know you did because you love $5 words. And that was my thought watch. I was like, Mackenzie's gonna fucking love that this guy is using words like troglodytes and repostates or something like that. Like just words that I hadn't even what was it? Repostates? Repostates. Reprobates, reprobates. Repossible. I couldn't even read my handwriting. I, that's how bad I am with these $5 words. Oh, but. reprobate. That's right. He does say that. I love that. That's a good one. That's a <laughs> I good knew one. you You're would. Right. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning, I it felt almost over the what you just said about it feels realistic. The beginning didn't. I was like, this guy is the character is so over the top mean <sighs> to his students that it feels like a eighties like Breakfast Club type movie of like, why is this teacher being such a dick if we want this to feel grounded in reality? I think that's hilarious to me because I have had this professor in college. Like I had this guy. <laughs> and maybe it's in I mean, he was in well. It really, I think of them as an amalgamation of two specific professors, which was one was a woman and one was a man. And one was a, uh, and they were both in the English department. 
And so the $5 words really resonate because they definitely spoke <laughs> this way. And the tweed and the elbow patches very much resonate because they gave off that vibe. Um, but yeah, I had this like hard ass professor uh, for sure. So it wasn't like, it does feel like a trope for sure. But I don't know, I could see him in my experience. And I was like, I know this guy. I feel like I know this guy for sure. <laughs> okay, okay, fine, Wayne. We will oh, we'll wow. take your side. Triggered. So, Triggered. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, the first like third of the movie or maybe fourth of the movie, it did move a little bit slow. I think it was this process of let's get down to business of to defeat the Huns of what we're actually <laughs> going to be doing here with these three main characters. Because when all the kids were there, it just beca- it went on a little long of, yes. okay, there's these scenes of why is this character getting dialogue if they're only going to be in the movie for three minutes mm-hmm. and they disappear. There's the whole thing with they're trying to get the helicopter to come pick them up and all the other kids leave with the other rich kids. They're all rich kids, I guess. But That was slow because you're kind of waiting for, I think if you saw the trailer, you know that it's a much smaller group. Right. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking in the beginning, to your point, where there still are several holdover kids, like there are what, six ish, maybe. Um, So it's a handful of holdover kids. And you're kind of waiting for them to leave, I think, because (laughs) you kind of know that you don't know under what circumstances. But I for sure was like, I know that they're not all supposed to be here the whole time, you know. And so they get this kind of outrageous situation where they all get to go skiing with this one guy, you know, kids, parents who are wealthy and invite them all to go skiing. But Dominic Cessna's character Angus can't go they can't reach his parents Mm -hmm. and once you finally get to that moment you're like okay here it goes like we're gonna get into it now and so yeah Yeah. i do agree i think there was a lot of that time where it felt slow but i will say i think it was important for you to see dominic's character specifically for that period of his interaction with those other kids and what a kind person he is and for his age especially he deals with another boy who's incredibly homesick i believe he was korean and can't go home Mm -hmm. and he feels so lonely and he's a little too old for this but he wets the bed and angus is just to your point empathy in that moment is so kind Mm -hmm. and he helps kind of take care of this kid and they are starting to bond i think these kids in this situation and then you really feel i think truly really feel for angus when he gets left there alone and that gets ripped away as well he not only doesn't get to spend his holidays with his family with his mom and her new husband and he's lonely Mm -hmm. and sad for all of these reasons but then he also has these kids who he at least thought he would have some solidarity with get ripped away as well and so yeah i think it it gives you this moment of really feeling for Angus kind of throughout. That's a solid call out and something I hadn't even thought about was maybe the entire first, you know, fourth of the film is really to develop Angus more than anybody else. Because yeah. I think the other two characters get there. I mean, all of them develop more after it's sure. become such a small group. But I forgot about the bedwetting scene. So that's a good call out there of probably what the purpose was. And yeah, I think it's it's we have to remember that this is a what, 17, 18 year old kid getting mm-hmm. left alone on the Christmas yeah. break and that just and uh, very purposely no less purposely yeah. no less I think yeah. he even has a little bit different story than those other kids right like they mm-hmm. all have some physical limitation to having yeah. done this or they made the choice themselves right for various reasons so 
it's just not rooted in some of the same trauma. You know, what is made clear, not 100% clear, but you are, it is made clear that Angus has been left alone by choice. And yeah. it is seemingly because his mother has remarried and mm-hmm. has a new husband with whom she's going to be spending her holidays. And they were supposed to be at St. Bart's, I believe it is. and for Like a honeymoon. Um, yeah. For like a honeymoon. But he was supposed to come as well. He's already at boarding school. He doesn't see these people all year, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be able to come. And she calls him. And you see the moment where she calls him and says, I need to, I need to have this time with him. I mm-hmm. need to be with my husband. And you need to just be there. And you learn not why, but you learn that. Angus's father is not available and it is implied that he is probably dead and that she has had to move on. And so you just really feel for him that she is choosing her new husband Mm -hmm. over her son who also can't be with his father. And I think that's a very different choice and a very different trauma than some of these other kids. And through it all, He's just trying to put on a brave face and he chooses instead of just wallowing to try and take care of these other kids. And I don't know. I think it speaks a lot to his character for sure. Agreed. Yeah. And him trying to take care of the other kids. But then, like you said, that gets snatched away from him, which leaves him. But on the plus side, he does get to rock the college queen size bed. You ever have one of those when you didn't have a roommate and you just push the mattresses together and it's like, now I got a queen. Baby. You put those egg crates on top of it to soften the middle. I just oh. love that he's also like very much diagonal across it. You know what I mean? Because that is also the only way that that is actually comfortable because otherwise you get in that little crack. Like he said, I love that for him. But I think that's where the movie turned for me was when it it's like, okay, here's what we're going to, because again, I hadn't seen the trailer. So now I understood what I was in for. And as they're getting just more and more miserable together in that sequence, but when they do the chase scene through the, the dormitories and through the campus and Paul Giamatti's characters chasing him around and just saying like, stop, yes. he's, he's levying these empty threats of what are you, there's nobody here. What are you going to do or say? But that scene of them chasing and then Angus eventually breaking his arm and then yes. having to go to the hospital. That's when I think a switch turned for me and I was on board. Yeah. yeah. I think that's like the pivotal moment in this film where it changes the trajectory of almost everything else you know one to your point it finally feels like it's taking off for sure from a an action standpoint um but it also informs very much how their relationship evolves because it is this very like empty thread on paul giamatti's part of he's (laughs) screaming and yelling at him and chasing him through he also sounds like he's gonna have a heart attack which like girl same (laughs) i would die if i had to run that much so i totally get it but he gets to him and it's this very like it's it reminds me so much of the finding nemo moment it where he's like going and swimming up to see the boat and his dad's like don't you dare touch that boat and it's butt by the way they say butt but for clarity purposes and he's like i'm not i'm gonna touch the butt and he's like don't you dare and he just touches it you know but then he like runs you know swims back with this defiant look on his face and i just feel like they are having that same moment don't you dare go in that gym don't you dare that is off limits and it's so funny because he's like fuck you i'm going and then he goes and he does it he immediately breaks his arm like instantaneously (laughs) like it could not have gone worse and it's yeah it's a really it's a rare moment of levity 
I think, in this film, first of all. But it also forces them to bond. He has to take them to the fucking hospital. Like, right. Know? And that's when the comedy really started to land for me. I feel like that's when the script really tightens up to having the funniest characters at this point all interacting together. I love that moment where Paul says, you know, I, I wash my hands of this. Metaphorically, of course. And Angus replies, <laughs> of course, metaphorically. What did you think? You were going to fucking wash your hands? <laughs> I liked that. And that was where I was like, okay, I'm on board. Let's go. I love that you see... I don't want to say Angus is cracking, but he is in his fuck it era at this moment mm-hmm. where he is so <laughs> sad and angry at his circumstances. And the guy that he is stuck with, at least at this point, is the worst. And you could tell he's just like, I'm going to just fucking say what I want to say. Like, screw it. Which is a risky thing for him to do because what you what gets weaved in here is that he is under three strikes, you're out. A threat mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he is going to have to go to military school if anything else goes wrong for him at any particular moment. And, uh, and so for him to kind of brazenly be real attitude to this guy is a real risk. Yeah. And I think we forget sometimes that military school now means a different thing than military school in yes. 1970 did like that. Ma- and that ties sure. into another piece of the plot of that means you're probably going to war, you know, in two years time. So it, it's definitely a more brutal environment. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like it is not military school now where, yeah, maybe you're running drills and you're still getting like an education as well. And maybe the education is actually the priority. It is very much like, the drilling, the training, the, you know, intensity of that environment is quite a bit stronger, I think. And I mean, I'm not at military school now, but that's the assumption, right? Is like, it has evolved somewhat. But back then, it was a pretty brutal reality. And it also was kind of a, the community you were in wasn't great, right? In a lot of cases, this was a last stop for a lot of fuck ups. Right. So you weren't necessarily around the cream of the crop like you would be yeah. at a at a, you know, nice refined boarding school. Um and so I think he has some real fear about that that is legitimate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we when I was, you know, a teenager watching movies in the 90s and aughts, I was the military school seemed like a punchline in movies of you're going to mm-hmm. get sent to military school like it seemed like more like a disciplinary uh consequence, mm-hmm. not literally Hey, if you can't make real school work, we're just going to send you to Vietnam and you're going to fight there. That that is something that I think was lost on me the first time that we discussed this. But I want to use that as an opportunity to transition because that does tie into our third character, Mary, who we have not given enough love yet because she's awesome. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can we fangirl over Mary? Because we love her. Oh, absolutely. We can. I think... I think she is just, to your point, I loved the way you said it. She's the beating heart of this film, but Mm -hmm. she is also the first introduction for Paul specifically to empathy around not only Angus, but these students in general. And you see like the first teaser of that is when the the other kids are still here and they have this moment of like camaraderie comes and grabs a drink from her and they Mm -hmm. have a little chat and he's bitching about the students and one in particular that he remembers and she remembers him too. And she's like, Oh, what a little shit. You know, they have this bonding Mm -hmm. moment, but then he's like, Oh, these kids are just so entitled and they have these cush lives and, you know, goes off. And she's like, what makes you say that? Like what, well, how do you know that? There's right. no reason for you to know that that's a fact. Like maybe they ha- are privileged in this way that you can see externally, but you don't know anything about their life outside of here. And I think that cracks open very small at that moment, 
the possibility for him to even try to look at these people differently, especially as it applies to Angus, because Angus is exactly that story on paper. He looks mm-hmm. like this privileged kid, but he has this incredibly tumultuous home life for a number of reasons. And he has this really deep seated fear for this other reason that he is contending with. And you don't have any insight to this by just being closed off to the idea that this kid is just a spoiled brat. Yeah. I think she brings some empathy to Paul about mm-hmm. Angus and the other students. And it's interesting to me. I don't remember what order it came in, but the first sort of bit of humanity that we see from Paul is when the students that are still there at that point are sort of making fun of Mary in some way. And he defends her and talks about how hard her life is. And he has that quote about life for most people is a hen house ladder. It's short and full of shit. Yeah. And these, you know, again, he's Great looking quote. at them as these privileged kids, silver spoon in their mouth. They're going to be fine no matter what happens. And it's interesting that he defends her when she's not in the room. And then she's the one that has to sort of open his eyes to, Hey, it's not just the people that you think yeah. are worse off than you, that you need to have empathy for. You need to have empathy for everyone. Well, and I think this is where you see that Paul probably doesn't see these kids as people, right? Mm -hmm. He sees them as kids versus he sees Mary as a full person. And so he can have, I think, some empathy for her, at least a a moderate amount, and consider her experience because it is so overtly tragic, right? She has lost her son. And everyone knows that. And her son went to school here, but he also went to Vietnam and he died in Vietnam. And she is grieving. She's actively grieving. It's very clear that this is recent. This is a recent loss. Mm -hmm. And so he can have some humanity around her and her full personhood in her adult, very clear tragedy. But he can't seem to pull back the layers of other people's less obvious tragedies and life experiences. And especially kids, where he just thinks that, They don't have a full life. They don't have anything to be upset about. They haven't been burned by everything. There is this deep-rooted cynicism in him. And Mm -hmm. we find out that he has a lot of resentment for these kids because of his experience in this world where he has been accused and convicted, frankly, of, you know, not in a court of law, but in a court of education of cheating on something that has informed his ability to really fulfill his own education. And so... I think he has a lot of resentment for the silver spoons and the wealthy people who got, who were believed over him in a situation where he was not guilty. He had not cheated. Mm -hmm. Again, he cares deeply about his intelligence, his intellectualism, his, you know, breadth of research and value and all these things. And spoiler alert, he doesn't have a college degree because Mm -hmm. of this situation, because he was caught cheating quote unquote and it was that guy's word against his and so he takes that out on these kids i mean you can't argue that he doesn't he takes that out on these kids and angus learns this much later as well but it's a bonding moment for them then too and i think Mm -hmm. it's because you start to understand paul a little bit better you start to understand why he is as curmudgeonly as he is, why he does throw out these $5 words and is aggressively overt in his intellectualism. It's because he's constantly trying to prove himself. He is proving that he deserves to be there. And he's mad that he feels that way because he shouldn't even be in that position, right? And I think there's a lot of that, that he's, a lot of that anger that he's directing at the kids and he's directing at Angus at this kind of beginning stage. Yeah, well, you just covered in, in great depth 
all of Paul's sort of, I don't know if they're character flaws or just the chip on his shoulder of what motivates him and the way that he approaches it. I would like to talk about his eyes, please. So (laughs) (laughs) the, the lazy eye thing is very interesting to me. Apparently it wasn't even a part of the original script. Originally it started out as Paul Giamatti sort of Mm -hmm. pranking uh, Dominic Sessa, who plays Angus, of just messing with him on set. And I don't, I think they would do scenes together. And I, maybe the first couple scenes they filmed together, he was doing this lazy eye and it was confusing the kid because he's like, wait, is this part of the character? And the, I guess the director loved it so much that they decided to write it into the other scenes of the script. And the interesting thing to me is that no one wants to admit, like, how did we do this? Was it all practical? How much yeah. can Paul Giamatti control his eyes? Because there are folks that could, like, a Skarsgård can do that. Mm-hmm. Was it added in post? And no one seems to want to give the secrets, which I find interesting because it's like, who's going to steal that? I don't think Marvel yeah. is going to be like, you know what? Let's give all our characters lazy eyes. We're going to steal this technology from the holdovers. Why is it so secretive? Okay, two things. One, I want to know how much time you spent Googling that. Like At least at least 30 to 45 seconds. I know that. <laughs> you were like, I did a fucking deep dive. I just think, I Google is, I think Google is faster than you think, Mackenzie. <laughs> What's your? I just your mean, you know, did you go there? down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, which of, of which I am very familiar? I do that on on the reg, <laughs> so I, I could see it happening. Uh, but no, two, it's got to be a contact, right? Like it's got to just that's be a contact my fence. theory is they gave him a contact, and the other thing that's and interesting about eyes. that, yeah, it changes sides throughout the film. It becomes a plot point of mm-hmm. Dominic Sessa saying. Hey, which one am I supposed to look at? It is this bonding moment between them. Of not say a lot of come... people are, yeah, no, not a lot of people are brave enough to ask Paul that question of, "Hey, I, I value this friendship, this relationship enough to have this yeah. awkward conversation, and let's get past it, so that I, I can be a little more respectful to you in the future." I think it's, it's cute. Such a cute moment. Exactly, that's perfect yeah. word. I took the words out of my mouth. It's such a cute moment because it's again one of the other few moments of levity, and yeah. also it's. It, it, to your point, it's almost implied that Dominic is maybe the only person to have ever asked this, right? Yeah. And and Paul gets to have this like moment of lightness and mm-hmm. make it a joke, you know. And then you find out which one it is, and mm-hmm. it's such a. We won't spoil that for you. We won't. It's a big reveal, guys. <laughs> uh, it's such a an intimate moment for them that is it's subtle but also profound. I think a little bit, but. A couple other, I know we don't want to give you, you know, the whole plot point by point anyway, but a couple other, I think, really profound moments or fun moments even for me where Mary has lost her son, obviously. That was the fun moment for you? No, no, no. I Jesus, <laughs> I a couple McKenzie. more. I'm going in order. Okay, <laughs> calm down. Probably oh. the most fun scene in the film. Okay, go I'm going to get to the fun ones. This is not the fun one. Po- important point of clarity. Um, but... Mary has lost her son, obviously, and she's got some healing to do on that. And yeah. one of the moments that's kind of bittersweet or or what have you about that is they all get invited to a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And it's this other teacher who's at this school. They happened to run into her at a, at a diner running an errand. And, and they have this sweet moment where maybe Paul thinks she likes him and yeah. he's nervous about going and he thinks it's just a polite invite, what have you. Mary talks him into going and bringing Angus and letting them have a good time. So they all three go. Um, and they also go with Danny, actually, who works at the, at the school as well as a janitor. And so they go to this party and they have this really sweet time. 
This, at yeah. least at first, it's a very sweet time, very sweet interaction. But there are these really painful moments throughout that party for yeah. these characters. And Paul is thinking that he likes this girl and she's so sweet to him. And to be honest, she's just being nice. There's nothing wrong with it. But you could yeah. see the the threads of maybe uh, something romantic. Hope. And, and yeah. you're – yes, exactly. And you're hoping for him as well. You're like, oh. It's going to be this sweet thing for him. He comes out of his shell mm -hmm. and he stops being a curmudgeon and whatever. You, you get invested in this very quickly. And only to find out a few minutes into the party, her right. boyfriend or her husband or whoever it is, probably her boyfriend comes in and kisses, kisses her, her right on the mouth. Kisses her right on the mouth. And it's like yeah. a heavy duty That's not kiss. a brother. That's not that a cousin. Not That's a definitely something more. Unless it, if it was Game of Thrones, maybe. But this is not Game of Thrones to my knowledge. It's not part right, of the lore. Right. It was a get canon. a room kiss is the point. It was a get a room kiss. And it leaves <laughs> nothing to the imagination for Paul where he's like, oh, well, there goes that. And yeah. You just see this dejected moment for him and it's so sad. But then you also have this moment of Mary where she's been drinking while she's there. Not like probably not to excess, but she's already we've seen drinking like at the school yeah, a little bit. She's, so she's using that as a coping a couple, device. Well, yeah. Exactly. It's a coping mechanism. She's probably had a couple before she got here. Mm -hmm. And then she's had a couple more and she's at a Christmas party. It's her first Christmas without her son. And yeah. I think that hits her as, with a ton of bricks and it makes her just have a little breakdown in the kitchen about it. And yeah. Danny, who likes her, is trying to be real sweet about it, but is doesn't know how to deal with it. So he goes and gets Paul. And this is where mm -hmm. you see Paul weirdly handle it pretty well and treat her very gently. But he sees how much pain she's in. And yeah. they are both having these very painful experiences at this fun Christmas party. While juxtaposed against this is Angus's adorable, like, make out <laughs> with the one girl at the party moment where... <laughs> They connected real quick, like two minutes into the meeting. They, they weren't like, hey, where are you from? Or like, what do you have a job? It was like, what's no. your favorite Picasso? Like, what the, What are we doing? What, these kids. They're making out in 30 seconds. They is grow the point. Up so fast. They do. They do. And it's so cute for him because you're like, this kid is having the worst, worst fucking holiday. And he's stuck with these people. And he finally gets to this party. He meets this girl. It's really cute. He's making out. And he gets yanked out of that party, too. He has to go home. <laughs> Doesn't get to have this experience like really play out. And you can see, hear him leaving and be like, okay, fine. We'll take Mary home. But like, I'm going to come back. We're going to come back. <laughs> and okay. I in that moment, I thought that was such a great <laughs> indicator of Paul as a human being of how he handled that. Of You can see that he's hurt. Like mm -hmm. he, there is some pain there of, oh, I did have hopes about this. But he quickly just has this sort of somber like look on his face. Not quite a smile, but just sort of like, well, okay, life goes on. And yep. I think that is that's so telling of this character who we find I, I wrote in my notes is there a condition this guy doesn't have because he has the oh, eye and then he says oh I have this thing and he also smells because of a condition mm -hmm. and it's he was not dealt a great hand for finding love no. and it's easy to see again we're developing this empathy for him of like we see how he's become this not quite a hermit but just sort of like doesn't really care what the world thinks so why am I going to put in an effort and most people don't like me anyway because of my physical appearance so him in that moment, I thought it was cool that they had it play out where he, you know, at the end, still is friends with this teacher who had yes. been so kind to him. And it's not he doesn't resent her. He understands they are adults and she has a boyfriend or whatever, like move right. on. Life goes on. But I also like that yeah. shortly after that, he has that line of this is why I don't like parties. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> know. You know, he got Mary throwing well, up. This and, is you why. Know. <laughs> it's so uh. sweet that he 
beyond just it's it's you know he's kind of maybe resigned himself as a person to not being able to have a partner and all these other things yes. that normal people have and so you see that for him and it and it feels sad but i just have to shout out his character here for a number of reasons and one i forgot to mention at the top is mary is black and she is mm -hmm. working in a predominantly white school in the 70s yeah. right she's not treated as an equal by most people here and you never see him do that right he never treats her as less than they have a, a what is a budding friendship from the get-go and she is excluded from sitting at the table even and getting an invite to the table on the regular and he invites her to the lunch table right and he gets a lot of flack from the the group there for doing that and so i think mm -hmm. that speaks very highly to his character is rooted in he's not a misogynist he's not a racist and he's not uh, that doesn't manifest here with the teacher either. He really doesn't treat her as having wronged him. She just made a choice. She was just being mm -hmm. nice. And for a woman, I can tell you that's rare, right? That be able to, being yeah. able to just have a an interaction with a man that he expects something from it and you don't give it to him and it ends in a non-violent and non-verbally attacking way and and a friendship even and a friendship even is exceedingly rare and especially yeah. again at this time it's even worse and you mm -hmm. see him when he sees her next just be kind to her he's like oh i'm so sorry i meant you know i forgot my manners i mm -hmm. meant to send you a note thanking you for including us because he recognizes she was just being nice and she's still a fully formed good person. And I have no reason to get angry or be resentful to her, but he of all people is somebody you could see doing that. You would, you could see him potentially just lashing out and being angry and he doesn't. And I think it just, again, speaks to his character as a person even more so than you've seen so far to this point. But I right. think before we go, we got to talk about the 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 Angus reveal as well. Um, yeah, I think we have to touch on really briefly before we get to Boston and what happens or in Boston proper, I guess is what I mean. I, I wanted to touch on their shitty Christmas the day after the Christmas party. <laughs> they have the worst Christmas, but Paul is trying his best. But I love that the first thing that Mary says is that she's got a case of the cocktail flu. I think that is the classiest <gasps> yes. new way to say you have a hangover. I'm sticking I'm with that from now on. I'm never not saying that. Yeah, I'm always going to say that now for sure. <laughs> I also like, I don't remember if this was Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, but another line of dialogue that I love is where... Angus takes the Lord's name in vain. He says, Jesus Christ or something. And Mary says, it's Christmas. Like you watch your mouth. Don't blah, blah, blah. As soon as he leaves the room, her next line of dialogue. And this is a credit to the writer again. Literally the next thing she says has four to five expletives in one oh, yeah. sentence. But it's like, oh, you can't take the Lord's name in vain, but you can say fuck shit, bitch, all these other things. Yeah, you can drop a motherfucker. No problem. But you definitely <laughs> cannot say Jesus Christ. Okay, rain it in. So no, she's so fun. She's so funny. She's such a fun character in general throughout. But I also love on their on their little perfunctory Christmas. He really does make a real effort. You know, he's he goes trying, and like he tries and gets this little tree, and I think it's so cute. It's like this very Charlie Brown Christmas tree moment. And Angus is a real brat about it. I wanted to smack Angus. Yeah. I was like, that is cute. That is a cute tree, and he's making an effort. He's really turned a corner. I think again in a short period of time, he has turned a corner and is making a real effort with these guys. Um, but he gets them. We cannot forget. He gets them the, <laughs> the same <presents>. present. <laughs> the same book. book. 
book. They give him, they, he gives them this, you know, yeah. history philosophy book. I think it's like Thoughts of Mar- Marcus Aurelius or something. And he gets it for both of them. And, and I they love open them in front of each other. In too. So front if you, of each for other. For some reason, haven't seen the movie and don't understand why this is funny. You see Angus <laughs> open his gift and he's like, wow, thanks. And then he hands a gift to Mary. It's the same exact book. It's brilliant. And Mary's like pleasantly surprised that she also got a gift and she opens it and she's like, just her face when it's the same. <laughs> and then I love that she calls him out. She's like, do you always get people the same, the same gift? Really? And he's like, yeah, kind of like, he, you know, but then and, she gets the bonus gift. Cause then he hands her like a, a bottle yes. shaped and she goes, okay, this and is more like it. She's like, okay, there it is. There it is. That's fine. Exactly. It's so fun. And it plays out later too, where you see that he has a box of these books. Like he wants everyone yeah. to read this book. And so <laughs> I love that though, because I am a nerd. I would definitely wouldn't do it in the same room, but I, mm-hmm. I will like get people the same gift because I want everyone to experience it. So that's I get fair, you, Paul. I, I think. see you. I yeah, see you. just maybe not at the same party. Not so, at the same party. Not in I front think, of each other. I think now we can segue into what you wanted to talk about. They're they're heading to Boston. They drop Mary off, and we get a lot mm-hmm. of really really good character development with her, with her sister, and the the boys go off to Boston to spend some time there. And we get so much development from all three characters here before they get back to campus. So, what do you yeah. want to touch on here? I think there is a lot to unpack there. So, in the interest of time, we won't do it all i would just say yes this is the pivotal emotional moment in the film as far as the boston moment in general on the whole and that's what you want to like really hone in on these characters and how they kind of come together mary has this very important growth experience about losing her son that's key paul and angus bond it's been this important time together that's also key but what does happen is that Angus sneaks out and everything's like kind of going well and you think it's fine. And, and, and then he sort of sneaks out and you're not a hundred percent sure why you as the audience are like, where is he going? And it turns out that he wants to go see his father, which is why he's been so adamant throughout of trying to get to Boston over Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's something he says to his mom very early on on the phone of like, you promised we would go to Boston. And it's implied that he wants to see his grave. And I like that misdirect a lot. I yes, mean, it's, it's very it's sad misdirect. Very but well in your done. Head, you're assuming to what you said earlier, the way that they talk about him, you assume his, his father passed away. Yeah, he's very past tense. You know, he's almost mm-hmm. forgotten. And so, and, and that is, it's important to note that that's the assumption Paul makes as well. So he catches him sneaking out and he doesn't understand why he's doing it. He's like, of course we could have gone to the cemetery. Why didn't you just ask? Yeah. And you see this moment of Angus being like, well, he's not in a cemetery. He doesn't say that explicitly. It's just this transition to now you're in what maybe was called at that time as well, a sanatorium, which is like a place of, you know, a mental health care facility, probably a facility for people with varying degrees of either violent mental health issues or just severe mental health issues. He has to be hospitalized is the problem here. And so he, they kind of finagle it that he gets in, he gets to see his dad. He has this beautiful moment, you think, where he's like catching his dad. He's so excited to see him, you know, and it's just wants to make him proud. It's like, and we, we had this moment last time. It's so emotional the way he wants to connect with his dad. And that this is the thing he's been wanting all Christmas. And he tells him all these things. He wants to make him proud. He's excited. And the first thing that happens is his dad doesn't get it and he Mm -hmm. doesn't register anything he just said. And he immediately goes into, I think they're trying to put something in my food. And this is when you realize that his dad is probably like a paranoid schizophrenic and he cannot connect with him anymore. And it's just 
devastating. It's truly yeah. devastating. And it lands in a really unexpected way and very emotional way. And you're just, your heart breaks for both of them, for both of them in that moment. Yeah. And so to Mackenzie's point, guys, we got just as emotional about this moment last time. And if you're oh. for some reason listening to this, but haven't seen this movie, please go see it because we are still moved after discussing it twice. And that moment, yeah, hits really hard of just that turn of this very inspiring speech. And he's just trying to make his dad proud. And then it turned, his dad is not there anymore. It, it seems mm -hmm. like, and I think that coupled with what we see Mary experience with her family of she, she's had this box that they show throughout the film up in her closet, sort of tucked away. And she gets a little hazy eyed. Every time she looks at it, she brings it with her. And then when she gets to her sister's house, you realize it's, it's a box full of baby's clothes. Uh, yeah. from her her son she had kept his baby clothes as sort of a, a memory and she gifts them to her sister as clothing for her pregnancy and they have this it's it's something that i didn't mention the first time but the moment where she and her sister are just sitting on the bed like the the twin size bed talking to each other and i don't even remember everything they discuss but that just feels so real to me yeah. of what it feels like when I go visit my family. And it's like, you just have those moments where it's like, let's just shoot the shit on this bed and, you know, bond yeah. a little bit. You just sit in a quarter and chat and catch up. And it's especially momentous for her because you can tell she's kind of cut everyone off in her grief and mm -hmm. she's coming back to her family a little bit. And hopefully it's implied back to herself and you want that for her. And um, so, yeah, it's a really beautiful moment. And I think that they pack at the, at this time, they pack these, equally emotional punches. But I will say, I think the Angus moment with his dad is the anchor and it informs yeah. so much of what happens both before and after this of you understand his struggle with his mom. And the, and it's uh, almost unbelievable that she could choose to go on this honeymoon without him. And you understand his general anger and sadness about one, not being included, but also like that he is not able to see his father and that that's not taken seriously. And, um, and then also this need that, that both Paul and Angus have to connect with someone. They both don't have a someone, right? Like they right. don't have anybody. Paul doesn't get to have this opportunity with this teacher and Angus doesn't have his family and he doesn't have his father. And it informs this connection, very, very deep connection that they begin to have in a very short period of time where Paul begins to understand who Angus really is, what his trauma really is. This is a next level of not only empathy, but real care and love for this mm -hmm. kid and yeah. feels a responsibility for this kid now where he realizes everything he's dealing with and that he doesn't have this connection in his life. And he starts to become again, in a very truncated timetable, a father-like figure to this kid. Yeah. And he leans in for somebody who has never done this before. And this manifests in, he protects him when they get found out that they did this yep. later. His parents are very upset. It's, it's telling that this is the moment that his mom chooses to show up, you know, and give a shit is that, you know, her ex-husband was involved and, or not, I mean, seemingly ex, she's chosen to leave this man. She's chosen to move on, which I'm not even judging that. I'm judging her lack of care for her child in this, in this yeah. instance. Um, but she is so upset that he chose to go see him and that this teacher helped. And you could see him debating whether or not to defend himself and to go hard at everyone in this room, mm -hmm. the headmaster, the parents, the whatever, and, you know, defend Angus's right to see his father, which he does touch on. He's like, I thought the kid should get to see his father, but he doesn't fight it out. He doesn't get combative the way that we've seen him do before. He 
resigns himself and says, yeah, it was my decision. It's my responsibility. And he falls on his sword for Angus. And I think that's one of my favorite things. When I said during our spoiler free that sort of the last 20 minutes or so bumped this film up a point or or like a half point or a point for me is because it doesn't play out as happily as you would expect it to. When we say, oh, this is a Christmas film, and but like halfway through, I I knew how it was going to play out, right? And I was totally wrong. And I've never been happier to be totally wrong because I thought, oh, okay, so Paul's going to have this love story with this teacher that's giving him cookies in the beginning, and Angus is going to have this love story with this girl that he met, and Mary's going to have the love story with the janitor. Like They're all going to find happiness at the end. And right. They do find happiness, but in each other and not yeah. with these external relationships, like almost like distractions. And we've already talked about how Paul does still have that that new friendship, which he's grateful for. We, you know, Mary has a shout out to Danny who's trying his best this whole movie, the janitor, um, yeah. you know, he, at no point does he feel creepy or weird about, Mm-mm. you know, him trying to pursue Mary. He seems very he respectful, just likes but her. Yeah. yeah, he likes her and he's trying to get a new year's Eve kiss. I think he gets one on the cheek, but that's, she's just yeah. clearly not into it. So that doesn't happen. We never see the girl from the party that Angus was into, but they have these beautiful goodbyes at the end and it just shows the development. And I like that not only do we not get that quote unquote happy ending for them of finding love. That wasn't the point of the story, right? It was them bonding with each other. I also like that it doesn't play out with him. I was expecting him to scold the mom and her new husband and really give them the business on you left your kid here. This is your fault. And he doesn't, he has that line. You said, I thought the boy should be able to see his father on Christmas. So he says it without saying it. He says, fuck you for leaving him here by himself, but he doesn't directly say it. And I thought that was brilliant. And it was, it showed real restraint, right? Like Mm -hmm. he could have definitely given them what for, but maybe it speaks to his growth and his empathy as well, where he's going, Maybe this woman has a reason emotionally why this is very triggering for her and hard for her to do and allow her son to see her, you know, her former husband. And and I think he's realizing, which he didn't before, is that he could just unleash on people and assume that he mm-hmm. knew everything about the situation. And I think he's learned in a short period of time that he doesn't. And it's easy for us to judge this woman and judge her choices. But I think you see this restraint for a reason. He's realized I have feelings about this. I'm not okay with this, Yeah. but there's maybe more to the story and I'm just going to leave it at that. And he loses his job and it actually feels like a moment of hope for him because now he's going to not be tethered to trying to keep this job so hard and prove Mm -hmm. his intellectualism every day. He's going to maybe work on the outlines of that book that he talked about, and he's going to travel hopefully. And you have a lot of, you have a real sense of heartbreak for him and Angus having to leave one another, but you have a real sense of hope, I think for both of them. And I think that's where it ends on that very heartwarming moment. Yeah, the the warm fuzzies that I mentioned earlier, I think that you just summarize them perfectly of even for Mary's character. We don't yes. end with her being completely over or recovering from the de- the loss of her son. It's more just this hope of like, hey, life is going to go on. We don't really have a, a choice in that. And 100%. you never completely, I think, recover from the loss of a loved one, especially something like that. Especially you carry your child, with yeah. You. Yeah, and so hope I think is the key takeaway here at the end. And I know you wanted last time we talked about the, the final sort of the scene liquor. Of driving off. <laughs> Listen, we got it. We know this episode was heavy. So I just have to leave you with a gem that was one of my favorites at least, which was he, if you didn't notice the, 
president or the headmaster or whomever, whatever, the douche canoe who runs the school is all you need to know. <laughs> he had the board gave him a Christmas gift of mm-hmm. Louis the 13th, which if you don't know, is a bougie AF cognac. It's a very pricey cognac. It, I don't when remember. When you say pricey, like, do you know about how much this thing is for a bottle? Like a thousand dollars a bottle ish is probably a good ballpark, to be honest. I, I haven't looked it up in a while. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. it is a lot. And the point is like a shot of it at a restaurant, right, is three hundred, four hundred dollars. You know Oof. what I mean? And so it's this very expensive Louis the thirteenth. I tried to get Skylar to get us some for the ep. I did not <laughs> succeed in my efforts. They have it at the <laughs> restaurant. It was it was too pricey. I didn't win. Do but they do they make it in those little airplane bottles? Can we they, get it for like a few bucks maybe in a plastic bottle? They do bottle? not make it, but they should. <laughs> that is a missed opportunity. But who's buying a $300 little air, airport bottle? I guess maybe that's the question. The yeah, real question. I, I can't believe they would even let you shoot it if it's that well, you expensive. you sip it to be fair, okay. but it's like a, a serving, okay. I should say. You know, it's, a, it, it's in those it. little cutesy, you know, cock, you know cognac glasses, mm-hmm. right? So anyway point is it's super fucking expensive and i love that paul's like last fuck you to the school and to this guy who was actually a student while he was a teacher at one point is he goes and he literally takes the fucking louis the 13th off of his desk before he leaves mm-hmm. he's driving out of the school with his little u holla stuff and he's driving also and grabs it and <laughs> takes a swig of it and you're like motherfucker what and then he swishes it around in his mouth like mouthwash and spits <laughs> it out just spits it out onto the ground and it was just such a hilarious fuck you to me and it, i don't i think it landed so much more to me because you know how much that is and he just yeah psh, spits it out i think that I, i've said this before to to friends of mine is drinking and driving like drinking then driving under the influence is terrible and you could get somebody killed drinking while driving is awesome so <laughs> i love that paul is just like i'm gonna have this dr- I'm, i assume he pulled over five minutes later but he didn't swallow it anyway but i'm wondering if that's some metaphorical thing of him sort of leaving this this bougie lifestyle of these yeah. rich kids behind him of this is just not for me you know i 100 percent think it is it's him mm-hmm. literally spitting it out and going i don't need to prove myself to this community to this guy yep. to these standards i am worthy and intelligent and capable without any of your bullshit you know (laughs) and i just think it's a great it's a great uh moment of freedom for him that i think he hasn't had since he lost his opportunity to finish at at harvard and so it's it's a really cool moment and again it leaves you with hope for all three of them with whom you've, you've become yeah. very close and very invested. So definitely this is, heartwarming. This one is fun. We should do this a third time because it's fun to I, ride this emotional wave of like, I, I can be sad for a little while and like well up, but then I get this really warm, fuzzy, hopeful feeling at the end. But yeah, after yeah. discussing it a second time, you still sitting at about, would you say seven, seven and a half? Yeah, I think as we talked about it again, I think I did this last time too. I don't remember, but I think I landed <laughs> at like a seven and a half or maybe okay. even an eight. Yeah. It as you as you go through it again, you do, you remember how much it hit, you know, and, and how mm-hmm. many layers there are. We as you know, we talked about some of the same things, but we also talked about a bunch of new things this time. Yeah. So it's one you can watch and unpack, I think, over and over, and that's very telling in and of itself. I totally agree. Yeah, I think that I'm still sitting at an eight, but I think on a rewatch, I could see myself liking this more over the years and just uh, the emotional experience you can get from a film like this. I have 
one other nerdy thing to call out before we wrap up to just because it didn't fit anywhere else in our discussion but to my sort of like film major buddies or anybody that's super into that nerdy component of it i love that this was none of this was shot on a soundstage at all this Mm -hmm. entire film is shot practically in parts of boston um Mm -hmm. so looking at the vehicles and the buildings and like i said the snow is all real so again it just makes this feel grounded in reality and again it's 1970 so the fact that they got all of this to look legitimate right despite not faking any of it in that way was was pretty cool yeah it's it's very well shot they they're uh I was reading about their location manager, actually. Wow, deep cut. She is from (laughs) Massachusetts. And so she, I think, was really good at finding these just authentic local places that felt real to her, probably, and felt like home to her. And then they shoot there and it all comes together. Because, yeah, they are all real environments. And I think it speaks to somebody who treats this area, this region, like home. And they found these great spots that really came through. Yeah, plus you get the candle pin bowling, which is an, a Boston yes. thing, I believe. I don't know if yes. it was invented there or if it came from Europe and then made its way specifically to Boston, but that's a specific Boston thing. Mm-hmm. And I also love that the apparently the liquor store clerk in the single scene where we're hearing about the Harvard story <laughs> yes. is a real guy. He works at that liquor yes. store. I'm wondering if he's still there today, if you can go in and say hi. But I love that he just has that line of like, here you go, killer. <laughs> Paul's talked about running his friend over, his former friend over. And it's so New England. It's such a New England yeah. vibe. It totally oh, drives. somebody no biggie. Yeah. yeah, I just love that it. it totally drives that this would be a, a real reaction from somebody here. And yeah, it lands really well. I love it. So Awesome, dude. Well, <sighs> well this was a great emotional conversation. It was. And I think we're going to have another interesting one next week. We're yeah. in the middle of Oscar season and we did a, right. a vote on our Insta. We'll be running another one this week, but you want to tell mm-hmm. them what we're covering next week? Yeah. So in case you hadn't heard yet, February is going to be award season month. So we're going to do Academy Awards, Oscars specifically during that month. And we're going to hone in on four categories. So just the big, the top four, which are best actor, best actress, best picture and best direction. So we're starting off the month with the best actress nom, which is for Emma Stone in Poor Mm -hmm. Things. And this is a fascinating one. So definitely come back for that. And we'll be running a poll as well for the other categories. So keep an eye out for that on our Instagram. But yeah, come back next week for poor things. For now, though, go have a drink and watch a thing. Cheers. And don't drive drunk. Cheers. Don't drive drunk. But drive and drink. (laughs) Yeah. Cheers. Drive while drinking. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 